welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Rachel? Not much. What do you have for me this week? I have a hypothetical situation that I want to run by you, but it's hypothetical in the fact that it's probably very practical and very meaningful. But uh, um, I, it's a what-if scenario, okay? You familiar with, like, what-if scenarios? What if this, what if this happened, all right? So... Let's say Rachel Madel is hired to come into a school and work in a preschool, okay? You're going to be the sort of the outside consultant coming in to help a preschool uh, preschool classroom. So you go to the preschool classroom and you walk in and there are six preschoolers in the room, okay? You with me so far? Yes. They've got interactive whiteboard. They've got a kidney-shaped table, right, with little chairs. In front of the interactive whiteboard, they have some cube chairs. They got a little carpet there. They got some stations set up with uh, different toys all around on those stations. Now, the six students, again, hypothetical here, right? Let's say one of them has an AEC app with them. So they have a, an iPad. Let's say it's LAMP, okay? LAMP words for life. Again, hypothetical. Um, and the teacher might even have uh, one of these devices as well. So it has, has LAMP on an iPad that is her iPad. Maybe she's uh, got it from the school someplace, or maybe it's her personal device, whatever. She's got an iPad there. She's got a student there. There's other students that are um, uh, not well, okay, you just walk in. You don't know their language yet, right? And because you've had some correspondence with the speech therapist before you've come in, um, you know the speech therapist is pretty well-versed in AAC. You know, they certainly know aided language stimulation and have been trying to model. They they express that they've been doing modeling, and then they, they were the one that helped get the one student that has Lampards for Life. They were there championing that that cause all along the way. So, and are you with me? Did I paint a, a, a picture? Um, yes, I'm in this preschool right now. All right, excellent. Is there any other follow-up questions you'd have for me to describe it better for you? I mean, I guess my question is, is this, do all the students in this class have an IEP? Like, is this a mainstream classroom where we have one AAC user who's being, you know, included? Or like, what is the setup of the classroom? Yeah, well, okay, so you could have asked that before you've gone in, right? So um, I would say that in this case, um, all the students in the in the class, all six, are there because they have an IEP. Okay, great. Um, so you walk in and you see, any? sorry, any other questions about the environment or the teaching or the staff or anything like that? I don't think so, not at this point. All right, so you walk in and you see one student on the floor playing with blocks and there's another student adjacent to that student also on the floor playing with blocks. So you got two students on the floor. You've got two students over at the kidney table uh, that they seem to be finishing up snack, you know, like maybe when you walked in, snack was sort of finishing. Like they, you got the impression there's some, there's some messy spots there on the table uh, that have not been cleaned up and the kids wandered away. Some are still eating though. They've got their goldfish cracker and their, their apple juice or whatever, juice boxes. Um, and so the two students at the kidney table, two students on the floor, and then two other students that are moving around the room. Let's say even one of them is starting to climb up on some furniture and potentially getting to a point where it's unsafe. And in the room, you have the teacher and one teaching assistant. And that teaching assistant is clearly spending 
the majority of his time following the student that is doing the unsafe, potentially getting into unsafe territory by starting to climb on furniture. Then you also come to realize, oh, there's that iPad. I'm, I'm here maybe to see that student that has the iPad and it is on the kidney-shaped table, but it is not being used by the two students that are uh, eating there. Quickly, you realize it's the student that's climbing um, and that is being sort of followed around by the uh, the teaching assistant that is supposed to be, I'm putting in quotes, right, using the iPad. That's who it's been uh, dedicated for. So I put you in this fictional situation, right, this hypothetical situation as a support person that is uh, meant to maybe give them feedback afterwards. How, what would you do necessarily to address the situation? What are some what are some questions or what are some actions you might take? Great question, Chris. Um, well, it feels like a challenging situation to talk with this staff because it feels like they have their hands full at this point. <laughs> like they're chasing a child who's being unsafe and trying to manage a classroom. So, um, you know, perhaps I would try to like lend a helping hand, especially with a student who is climbing and also you know, try to figure out a communication opportunity there, um, talking with the paraprofessional or the teacher's aide in figuring out like, what do you think is happening right now? Like trying to get to the bottom of what, you know, why we're seeing that type of uh, behavior. Is it sensory seeking? Is it, you know, what's going on um, with that child? Um, and I would definitely be picking up, <laughs> knowing that I'm obsessed with AAC and love AAC, I'd definitely be picking up the AAC system <laughs> and trying to figure out how I could use that as an opportunity to model language um, or model modeling for the staff in the classroom. Um, but because this feels like a situation where there there's a safety concern, I feel like I would be just delicately trying to figure out how I could be the most helpful in that situation. Um, and maybe that means I would have to put my agenda for communication and AAC and all that stuff on, on the side to make sure that I'm helping the classroom. And, you know, I really believe that when you have an opportunity to, you know, work with a teacher and go into a classroom, like the first step is building trust and rapport with a teacher and staff and that means sometimes like putting our agenda aside um, for a moment and just saying like, hey, I'm here to help. Like, can I help you? Well, how can I help you? <laughs> Seems like there's a lot going on. And maybe that would mean I wouldn't be working with that student who was climbing, but I'd be, you know, oh, let's read a book with the rest of the kids in the class so that like I could help the teacher in that way. Um, so those are kind of my initial thoughts. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would also want to then follow up with a time where students maybe weren't in the classroom or it wasn't, a, students were, it was nap time, or this is a preschool classroom, right? Yep, yep. Preschoolers take naps typically, or sometimes take naps depending on the preschool. Um, so like a time where I could talk with the teacher and the teacher's aide when they weren't, they didn't have their hands full with like just trying to keep kids safe and keep a classroom running. So you might have a follow-up meeting afterwards some point to, and then what would that meeting look like? Well, what, what, what questions might you ask them or what, what, what you suggest? How would you approach that meeting? I feel like I would approach the meeting, you know, just curious about what is happening in the classroom and what the challenges are in the classroom. And it seems like I would focus probably more energy on the child who was 
climbing and you know not necessarily following the classroom routine and try to problem solve with the teacher and aid, teacher's aid on how we could potentially help introduce visual supports or something that could help potentially uh, that student be able to participate more fully. Um, and, and I think it gets asking questions about like, when are you seeing this? What kinds of things, you know, precipitate this? Um, because for me, I'm trying to figure out like, is this a sensory need? Is this something where like maybe on the AAC we can have sensory, um, like a sensory folder where it's like you can ask for your weighted blanket or you could, you know, ask for a walk or ask to jump on the trampoline or something that can help regulate a, a child's sensory system so that we're not seeing them climb on furniture and, you know, do things that are unsafe. So that's probably the way that I would handle that and just being curious about when are you seeing this? Are there patterns? What do you guys think we could do to help support um, this student so that they're able to better participate in the routines of the classroom. So let me explain why I was thinking this um, and where this fictional scenario came from is something that's been on my mind well, forever, but recently it's been coming up to the surface of my mind is the the practical day-to-day -day life of a teacher versus the stuff we say on this podcast versus the stuff I might say in presentations or we might say in presentations and marrying those two together, right? Because it's, there's this, uh, the theory of what we do. There's the, um, there's the research behind what, what we suggest, but then there's all these other barriers that seem to be getting in the way of actually doing that effectively. Like, so I was trying to create a scenario like, well, what is a real scenario for, and again, I started preschool because I feel like those are the students that don't necessarily have the structure of what school, I put that in quotes, uh, it looks like or feels like. I put that in quotes because maybe it doesn't need to feel like a traditional school, you know? So I <laughs> literally driving around in the car thinking about what would be something I've seen over the years, what would be something that is a, a very real situation, but it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to actually paint the picture of, a, of an actual classroom. I was like, well, okay, well, how many kids could be in a classroom? Preschool, maybe six, you know. Um, so that's where the scenario came from, just to be explicit there. And then I asked myself the same questions I was asking you. Okay, so uh, a follow-up meeting makes sense. One of the things that I'm was wrestling with that that you brought up was um, the student who's climbing would probably be the one who's taking the most time of the six uh, because of trying to mitigate that safety issue, right? Um, and it's probably the 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 stressor in the situation for the for the teacher and the paraprofessional the most. Um, so that would probably be, again, having this follow-up meeting, what's the biggest, if I asked them, what's the biggest concern in your, in your environment, they'd probably say so-and-so climbing on the furniture, right? And so what I heard you say, Rachel, is um, let's talk about why that's happening. You know, let's, is he seeking some sort of sensory need and can we provide a different outlet for that sensory need? So it's not necessarily stopping it, but replacing it with something that might be more appropriate. Is that, did I hear you correctly? And does that sound fair? Yes. Okay. And then I also think, okay, what else could we provide there? Because let's say they don't have a trampoline, right? So what else could the student be using to get that? And I thought heavy work. Heavy work is something we don't 
talk about enough again is something I see. I feel like we say a lot in this podcast. It's like, well, we don't talk about this enough. We don't suggest this enough. But um, heavy work is one of those things. It seems like, again, because of our picture of what school is, sit and listen at desks, you know, um, we, we want to teach students how to sit and listen at desks. And that also means there's not a safety issue when that's happening. And maybe we can get to some language that way in a very explicit manner. Um, but heavy work would be the opposite of sitting at desks. Now you're lifting something that is heavy, right? Heavy is relative, but, um, and you might be using that movement in a very functional manner. So I thought, okay, that might be something else I might ask the teacher is, well, okay, the student is, is climbing on things. There's maybe they're sensory seeking. What could we do instead of them climbing on things? It's more safe. Could they be carrying things? You know, if their hands are full, then they're usually not climbing on stuff. You know, and what if we could? Because they, well, how can they climb up if they usually they're putting their hands on something to climb? Um, so I don't know. What do you think about heavy work as a as a suggestion? Totally. I love. I mean, I feel like heavy work is underutilized, I think, in classrooms. And I think that we can help facilitate those conversations and problem solve with teachers and paraprofessionals about like what kinds of things are possible in a classroom setting. And yeah, I mean, I think that, and that's where like, my brain goes to like collaboration. Like, is there an OT at this school? Like, can I collaborate with that person and figure out like what kinds of sensory activities can we create? And then, you know, I'm always trying to think too big picture for a classroom teacher. How can we create things not just for this student, but for all the students in the class? So like, it's not just the student who's doing heavy work, right? How can we create some type of activity so all the students, you know, are doing that? And it's a part of their routine too, um, because any time we do something for one student, like. I question, can we do this for all the students in the classroom so that it becomes a habit, it becomes easy to facilitate, and it helps benefit all the students um, to be better regulated. So there we go back to that original question about the environmental supports. Are there, um, is there more AAC that could be placed in there? Could there, are there visuals? Certainly could we, were there low-tech visuals? Uh, are there core boards based on the app that were, that was already in the environment? Could that be there? And then what I hear you also saying is, when you're looking at um, uh, putting something in place for the entire classroom, if this one student is perambulating around the room, could we invite that student to be sort of the line leader? And now let's all follow the leader. Okay, so-and-so uh, um, uh, is was walking around the room. Let's all follow so-and-so, right? And now we're all marching behind this student doing some sort of maybe an obstacle course, right? Shaping that perambulation into something that is uh, more meaningful. Um, let me ask you this question again, Rachel. So if we did heavy work and the student was carrying stuff, their hands are full. And so if their hands are full, then how do they, if their student is, let's say, a direct selector, how do they access their AAC? What are your, what are your thoughts there? Um, I mean, I think that it would be impossible for them to access their AAC without putting down whatever they were carrying. So I feel like the opportunity would be before they pick something up to do heavy work and after they put something down during the heavy work. Yeah, that was my thought too. I also thought depending on what the heavy work is, it could be like, um, put these things, let's say it's paper, right? Like a heavy, I'm putting heavy in quotes because it's subjective, but um, uh, put it in a bag and now you can 
uh, maybe pull that bag or have it with one hand, you know, um, or sling it over the, the student could put it over their shoulder, you know, let me show you how I put my, my over my shoulder. Now you try your, your shoulder, you know, uh, so your hands are still free, meaning maybe there are, there's ways to do heavy work without your hands being tied up, you know, um, but then, yeah, and then, yeah, putting it down and then using it. And then, of course, they are using their hands. That doesn't preclude you as the as the communication partner from modeling on either their device or on, like I said, in this, in this scenario, I gave the teacher a device, so on the teacher's device. So I don't know. I like these sorts of thought exercises because I find that they're very practical and they help us really think through what a teacher is facing on any given day, you know? Yeah, I also think that, you know, what's really coming up for me is something that comes up a lot in my practice, which is, you know, how can we help kids not just get regulated, but how do we help teach them how to communicate what they need to be regulated? So we know when we have kids climbing on furniture and not sitting in their seat, it's like so often we can you know, look at that and realize there's some type of sensory need that's not being met. Um, and so, you know, we talked all about sensory stuff today because when I see a child who's climbing on furniture, my first thought is this is sensory related. Instead of this student doesn't listen and, you know, is it is, is the bad student, put that in air quotes, because I feel like so often kids with sensory needs, they get labeled as, you know, not listening and not wanting to participate. And it's really just like their sensory systems are so out of whack that they just have to climb on furniture and they can't sit in their seat. Um, and so I feel like one of the things that we should be doing with our kids who are presenting with challenging behaviors like that is working closely with an occupational therapist if one is on the team, um, but also just figuring out what kinds of things could I program into an AAC system specific to that child and that classroom and that child's needs and then teach them how to communicate what they need. Because part of you know sensory regulation is figuring out what I need in any given moment. And typically those things are really motivating for kids. Like our sensory swinging on that swing is super exciting for a kid with sensory needs because it helps them get regulated. So it's like, we really need to do a, a good job of making sure that we program out that type of vocabulary and then target it specifically. Um, and some of my students, that's the first step. It's like, there's nothing else that I'm targeting or modeling other than sensory because that's prohibiting them from participating in a classroom, from even learning in some ways, um, how to use an AAC system, how to you know use language to communicate. It's like, those are the things that are the most motivating for our students with the most significant sensory needs. So you know, just a reminder to think about that when you're introducing AAC and it feels like it's not working or the child's not attending, I'm putting all these things in air quotes, you can't see, Chris can see me, no one else can see me because this is a podcast. <laughs> but you know, instead of thinking like that, how can we think, what are things that can help get the student regulated and how can I teach them to communicate about the things they need to get regulated? For sure. For sure. I think that's great advice and a, um, a great way to think about it as opposed to just stop doing it, right? Or like you said, um, um, thinking that the student is intentionally doing this for some reason. Well, um, intentionally not listening to you or not following directions, right? So yeah, I think that's all great, great advice. I also think that every student is a, has sensory needs. You know, certainly I have sensory needs. It's just the, how the needs come out. And then something else that um, I was thinking about for uh, th this 
student that might be climbing on the furniture would be, are they always climbing on the furniture? When is a time that they're not? Uh, do they attend to an iPad to watch videos, for instance? Um, well, is that an opportunity then to teach them about uh, how that makes you feel when they climb on the, do this instead of that, you know, uh, replace it with a more safe way to, to meet those needs, taking an opportunity when they're not climbing to teach that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think and, and I think that maybe the takeaway here is like before we jump to a conclusion about a child not wanting to listen and not behaving and all these things, it's like how can we really question how can we really question like what is driving that behavior because it's oftentimes like an unmet need, whether that's an unmet communication need or an unmet sensory need. So I feel like just really examining that can really inform our practice and help our kids be able to communicate about the things that they need in order to be in a state that's more ready to learn. Um, so I think that's such an important thing that sometimes we miss um, as educators. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for thinking that through with me. And, um, you know, I like those sorts of role play activities, you know, sometimes in some of our trainings uh, or our professional development experiences that we put together, we have scenarios like that because they are so real for people. I feel like that's something someone is really dealing with right now. Someone's listening right now is like, yeah, I have a kid that climbs or um, yeah, I have kids that uh, I I have a classroom with six students in it. You know what I mean? Um, With only one AAC user. Yeah. And I have a classroom where I feel like I can't do the work I need to do for AAC and communication because we're putting out fires, you know? And I feel like that's the reality of a lot of the classrooms is like, sure, like it's great to model on an AAC and come in and try to teach, you know, those skills. But if a teacher and paraprofessionals are in like fight or flight, just trying to keep the kids in their classroom safe, then like we're gonna have to figure out ways to support teachers in other ways outside of like what we typically come in as speech language pathologists with like our agenda about modeling and all these things. And I feel like if you're pushing like, you know, if you're not taking into account the actual situation you're walking into, you know, imagine if you like sit down with that teacher, you're like, okay, let me, let's talk about how we can model language during your routines, right? That teacher is going to be like, get lost. Like I'm trying to keep my kids alive. <laughs> so like, I hear what you're saying, but like, let me like keep Johnny alive first, <laughs> you know? And I just, I feel like we need to get real with the, you know, the teachers and that's how we can really make a relationship. And then we have this beautiful opportunity to problem solve together and build rapport with that teacher and that, you know, teacher aid and all of a sudden now once we figured out Johnny climbing because we've introduced all of these really great activities that are sensor related and the communication that goes along with it now we have opportunities to keep expanding right and keep making progress could not agree more could not agree more now someone else who has a practical uh, story to tell is our interview today so our interview today is with someone named Rebecca and Rebecca asked that her last name not be shared so it's just an interview with Rebecca. Awesome. I'm super excited, Chris, to head into our, our interview with Rebecca. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode.
So welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rebecca. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what we're doing here today. So I am an assistive tech professional. I work at a high school and I work with students with disabilities and we brainstorm and come up with the best assistive technology for their needs. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So you reached out with a pretty specific question here. So uh, let's, let's just jump right in. Okay. So my question is uh, this year when I was working with these students, I really saw that there's a need for an assistive tech professional. Um, Another one, because we're a district of 3,200 students and there's one assistive tech professional, which is me, for the middle school, high school, and two elementary schools. And although I'm really grateful that there is an assistive tech professional and they just created this position, I know many schools don't have that, or maybe there's a teacher that's also an assistive tech professional. I feel that I can't give the quality of services that I need with the, with the amount of time I have. Um, the problem is, is that if I meet with admin, um, they're going to want numbers and data. The problem is when I calculated my caseload and the amount of hours each student gets, there is enough time technically in the school year, actually more than enough time for the ATP to, to see these students. But as both me and you know, there's so much behind the scenes work that goes into researching programs, scheduling time to see the kids, talking to parents, just it doesn't end. Mm -hmm. So I and I know that administration needs to see numbers in order to approach the board with it. Um, so before I have my meeting with them, I, I did want to talk to and ask you this question. Okay. Well, Rebecca, let's talk a little bit about your, before we, we get to the heart of that question, I think there's some more background information that we might need to, to really dig in. So a couple of things I heard you say is one is that your position is relatively new. And then I'm curious about the service delivery model. Like you mentioned, you have your uh, certification, your ATP certification, and that you're, it sounds like you're providing like service delivery hours. So let's start with, with the first question is how long is the position exist? in your neck of the woods? And then second is, what's that service delivery model look like? So there used to be a staff developer that was also a assistive tech professional, but she advocated for to have just an assistive tech professional and she did have the numbers. So this is the first year that this position has been created and I'm filling it. And which is cool. And then in terms of service delivery model, um, each, I'm not sure if this answers your question, but each child has an amount of 80 hours on their IEP. And I see those students based on their hours. Gotcha. So in the same way that a speech language pathologist might have a number of hours or an occupational therapist might have a number of hours in your neck of the woods, the way it's currently being done is that assistive technology is written into the IEP and you would go for those number of hours to do some sort of work with the student? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So what, what does that look like? Can you give me an example of a student? 
Like I see this one student, you know, 60 minutes a week and we do X, you know? Right. So that's a good question. So I see a student, um, he has dyslexia um, and I, I introduce him to the program read and write. Mm -hmm. So um, he doesn't fall so behind in class. So he could rely on the speech to text and text to speech features. So we just basically practice um, with that and like base, like I'll take him one-on-one sometimes. And like, based on his classwork, we'll just practice using those two features. Also, um, under his, his assistive techniques, he receives class notes. So, um, I'll make sure with the teacher that he's receiving those completed class notes. So that's just an example of a student I work with. Gotcha. Okay. And so the the teachers that he has, I mean, is this, sorry, this is a high school student? Yes. So he probably changing classes, going from class to class and has multiple yes. teachers. And then would he have a case manager as well? The case manager is a psychologist. Gotcha. Okay. So not necessarily seeing the student on a regular basis, but just checking in every once in a while and then uh, writing the IEP and coordinating those sorts of efforts. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Um, let me, let's talk about read and write for a second. Is it currently a tier one support? And what I mean by that is that it's universal, like anybody can access read and write, or is it a tier three? I guess, three support, meaning it's specifically for this student because it was written on the student's IEP. Therefore, we bought one license for it. And he, he, this student can have it on his Chromebook or on his laptop or wherever he's accessing it. Which, which dynamic do you have there? Good question. So we bought Read and Write for all the students in the district, which is amazing. And we... Um, we don't write the name of programs on the IP. We just talk about the, I guess you call it like speech to text would be considered an accommodation. Mm -hmm. So we write the accommodations in case programs or the names change. Um, but we, I, my responsibility is to train these students with disabilities that have assistive tech on their IEPs in the read and write program. Um, and I was thinking that is like an argument I can make that so many students can benefit from assistive technology. But when I looked up the assistive tech definition on IDEA, it, I believe it said like a product or service that will benefit a student with a disability. Mm -hmm. A lot of our students don't have, aren't classified with disabilities. So they, the district could say, these are the only students with an IP and there's one person is more than enough. Okay. So let's dig into that for a second. Since you brought up the definition of IDEA of assistive technology and IDEA, which is a law, right? In case anyone listening is like, what's well, IDEA. Um, yeah. The definition, everyone goes to that part of it where it's like, it's, it's specific to students with disabilities. So I, I bring that up all the time. Like, um, my daughter, for instance, as far as we know, does not have a disability, is not identified as a student with a disability, did not go through eligibility, right, is not protected under IDEA, uh, but uses speech to text all the time and text to speech all the time because it's a universal support in our neck of the woods as well. And the same as you described it, that's how it is in our school district where every student has access to uh, read and write for Google Chrome. 
So, um, in so her friend uh, who might have dyslexia could be sitting right next to her, and they're both using read and write for the same purpose of having the text read out loud or using speech to text or any of the other functions it might have. And for my daughter, it's not assistive tech; it's just tech. But for this other student who has a disability and has been identified under IDEA as eligible, then it's called assistive tech. But it's just the same technology, right? Um, and in some ways, you might even make the argument that the, the term assistive technology is a little seg like uh, segregating, right? Because like it's just technology. So all that to say is that in the case that you have coming up with the meeting with your administration, and you're going to have to ask you, I think you're spot on that they're going to ask for numbers and you want to provide the numbers. One big point that I think that can be made is the services that you're providing are really um, uh, can, can benefit more students um, and uh, than just students with disabilities. And a great number to throw out there, I think, is um, especially since you're you mentioned dyslexia as an example, and we can talk about other uh, examples in the future, but the people from de decoding dyslexia will say that the number of people that have dyslexia is one in five. So one in five is 20% of the population, right? But chances are, Rebecca, your entire special ed population, all disabilities, probably floats somewhere between 11 and 13%. Like that's like the national average. Most school districts have 11 to 13%. Of all disabilities, hearing impairment, autism, like it's somewhere between that range, right? Um, let alone dyslexia. So what does that mean if the if it's true that there's 20% of the population has dyslexia and we're only serving uh, 11 to 13% of the populations with students with disabilities, then there's this large gap of, mm, uh, let's call it 10%, you know, um, 7 to 10% of people who we are knowingly leaving out. <laughs> Right. Which is why it's so important to have it, the, the technology as a uh, tier one support that's available to everybody. But chances are, and I think this is, again, the, the point that you can make, chances are the general ed teachers don't know about that technology, haven't learned about it, haven't infused it necessarily into so the design of their experiences. Am I, am I speaking your truth? Yeah, no time to learn it. No time to learn it. So that kind of shifts your role um, from being someone who does direct service with a student to more of a coach, right? Let me come in and do a, again, it's, it's interesting that the person that was advocating for your position, you described them as a staff development, like they were in staff development, because I, I, I would see this as, the, as your role. And it's certainly the role that our, in our neck of the woods is we act as facilitators and uh, professional development experience designers, you know, where we meet with uh, people, educators, and we try and educate them about these technology options that they can make available to everybody. You know, read and write's a great example, but there's universal support. Are you a Chromebook district or uh, laptops or Chromebooks? Okay. So, you know, and I'm sure in the last year here, if not before, digging into the accessibility features that are available into the Chromebook. Well, again, that's another tier one support that's available to everybody that most teachers don't know about. You could be showing them and coaching them along. How would you feel about that as a as an approach where you a shift happened where you moved away from putting uh, 
assistive technology as a service on the IEP and putting it more as a, a, if it needs to be listed at the IEP at all, but moving the position into a more of a coaching position where you're working more directly with the, the educators and teaching them how to use the technology. I think that's a really good point. And that would be great. The thing is we do have one staff developer in each school already. Okay. And do you feel like they know that technology? Um, no, but they're definitely capable of being trained in it. So, and could you see yourself as that role is that you would meet with them and sort of, um, uh, help each one of those, those staff development. So let me back up for a second in our school district. We also have not a staff development person in every school, but we have an instructional technology facilitator. Um, and so we would go in and we'd work with them uh, to help teach them about read and write and how to implement it so that even if we couldn't meet with each teacher individually, we're sort of doing a train the trainer model, you know, and there's never ending like read and write is just one example. There's I'm sure there's tons of executive functioning problems that are coming up and you could be showing, you know, Google keep and Google calendar. And, and then you infuse that with uh, um, uh, in our case, instructional technology facilitator, in your case, the staff development person. So, that when a uh, again a general ed teacher goes oh man I'm really having trouble with this problem they they either know how to call you <laughs> that staff developer knows hmm, I'm not sure what to do but I bet you Rebecca would um, or let's get together and brainstorm with Rebecca or they have they've met with you before because another student has had a difficulty you've met with them you've brainstormed and and now the next time a similar a similar student has a similar problem they'll sort of know some strategies to go to yeah what are your thoughts. I think that's a great idea. That's a really good point. Let me dig in a little bit more too. Like, again, part of the definition of assistive technology device is any item. And a lot of people sleep on that. They forget that that's how the definition starts. It's any item. And what that really means is any item. There's a lot of items in schools, you know, it means if it's, and it's not said, it doesn't say the definition doesn't say that is necessary for a student with disability. It's just if used by a student with a disability. Um, So that again is a really wide range of things. And I'm sure part of, um, your the work that you do is trying to educate people that it's that assistive technology can be sticky notes it can be low tech things it doesn't have to be all tech uh, high tech things with batteries or things that plug in you know things with yeah. electricity right so that with that wide scope the question you have to ask is well who's the assistive technology expert you know like if an occupational therapist says, you know, let's, um, maybe we should consider a, uh, the students like wiggling in their chair a lot and having, uh, um, some trouble focusing on what's going on in the, in the classroom design and the experience. Um, what if we gave them like a little wobble disc to sit on, you know, or what if we just took, uh, two tennis balls and put them on opposite corners of their chairs and they could wiggle back and forth on their chairs, rocking back and forth uh, without making a lot of noise because they have the tennis balls, right. Uh, or whatever, right. Some, some sort of low tech strategy. They never called you in at all, Rebecca, you're never even involved, right. Did they do assistive technology? According to the definition, they certainly did. Right. Yeah. 
So does that get written in the student's IEP as like, how is that reconciled? Because, and the same thing goes for like AAC, you know, if a speech therapist is working with an AAC device, then that's assistive technology. Does they need Rebecca? Do you know, if if the speech therapist has um, some expertise, some knowledge, some experience there, like, how does that, that is assistive technology. It's written in because I could see in your discussion with the um, administration. Yeah. But if, if you weren't on the IEP, how would the kids get their assistive technology? Well, all these other people are already doing it would be the answer. What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Sometimes like the OT would be involved in like the ch- the chair example you gave. But yeah, like it really does not hurt at all to have that extra assistive tech support. It only benefits the students. And I think sometimes districts can so be involved with like thinking how they could save money. But like this, at the end of the day, it's really for the quality of the students. Like I, I'm the kind of person that in my job, I give, I like to give 110% of my efforts and I don't believe in mediocrity. And I like to, I like to help the student as much as I can, but as one person for, for such a big district, I can't even do that. And that doesn't make me feel good. I know the the administration doesn't really care about how I feel, but it, it, it's, it really is so important to me. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to feel, I mean, I, first of all, every person ever, whoever got into education and didn't do it for the money, you know, and uh, a far distance uh, maybe is like, well, I do get summers off. <laughs> like, like that's the perk, yeah. right? People don't get into it for that reason. They get into for it because they like to help people and they like to make a difference. And they like um, working with um, students and ed- and educators alike uh, to build some sort of um, learning environment, right? And so so that burnout that you're talking about there, that the idea like, well, like I'm not really enjoying my job. I could leave and go do something else. Well, I think that's something that I hope I would hope administration is aware of, especially now. Your timing is right, Rebecca, because of the max mass exodus of educators leaving. Right, the um, yeah. uh, people are leaving education in droves. It's never been worse than it is right now. It was bad before the pandemic. It's even worse now. Um, so, how do we retain people? Good people like you who are asking these questions and doing good work is to provide the. It's not. I mean, I'm sure you take a few extra hundred dollars, right, in your in your paycheck. But more importantly, would be this quality of job satisfaction that you're talking about. Definitely, and I think it it can help take the ease off the 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 load of the teachers. Like it's one less thing that they need to worry about to be trained in. Like I like to actually be there and help not be in all different schools. No one can find me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that model of working with the staff development person to show them some of these tech, some of these technologies that are really, again, available to everybody. I think that would be amazing. That would be so ideal. What, what steps would need to happen in order for that shift to occur in your neck of the woods? Um, well, I'm not sure if they will hire a second person. That's like my dream goal. But if they don't, um, I would definitely like contact all the staff developers to train them in the programs that I've been trained in as assistive tech professional. Tell me more. Like what, when you say program, do you mean like ATP or do you mean the different softwares that you currently use in your district? 
Um, both, both. So for example, Breed and Write, Bookshare, um, Don Johnson products. I'm sure there's so many things that I can't think of right now. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. Um, in the scope of AT, like, do you do uh, AAC as well? Or is there like another person that does yes. that? I'm also a speech pathologist, so I do AAC as well. Gotcha. And so, I mean, are you called in to do evaluations to decide and make suggestions? I mean, I guess make recommendations to an IEP team about what the AAC might be? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that look like currently? I mean, are you like you come out and you try a couple different apps sort of thing and then write yeah. up a report? Yeah. And if the case, if the student is case is very involved, I'll usually contact um, BOCES are like an assist at AAC company to come do trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. BOCES is a New York thing, right? It's, uh, it's uh, uh, other people listening might not know what BOCES is. Can you explain? Oh, yeah. what Bo- <laughs> um, it's like the, it's like this, it's hard to explain. It's a special ed schools and they, they're contracted with the public schools to help out when we can't do the service in full. Yeah. Like in New York, um, I grew up in New York. I grew up in Buffalo, right? And okay. so the school districts are, um, there might be many small school districts that wouldn't have a population that necessitates having a speech language pathologist even, right? A full-time staff. So what they would do is they'd contract out to BOCES that might then provide a speech language pathologist for multiple districts. So I work in these four or five districts. I contract out to them. Is that a fair way to do it? And so same thing, I guess, maybe when it comes to AAC is that, well, maybe you reach out to BOCES and they would provide somebody that could lend support. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, Okay. So with that in mind, um, I mean, we've seen, uh, especially in the last five to 10 years, a huge rise in the number of people who are using AAC. We're recognizing that AAC is something that um, is not for necessarily just a small select uh, population, and we need robust AAC uh, in a much larger scale, right? So I wonder if that's not an avenue for you, uh, again, in, in, in making a list of sort of uh, arguments to present to your, um, to your administrators in your upcoming meeting is let's look at the numbers of, over the, if, you, if you have them over the last, even if the last year, but uh, if you have a, a trend of two or three years of number of AAC requests we're getting um, and watching it rise and, um, and the nervousness about implementation. So oftentimes uh, what we've seen, again, I, I, I think this is pretty consistent across the board, that we see a lot of good uh, work and a lot of good time spent on selecting the perfect AAC tool that then does not get used, <laughs> right? Because there's no follow through with coaching uh, somebody on how to implement the AAC tool. Um and I feel like that could be, again, if money talks, right? I believe you're right there. Hey, we're spending a lot of a lot of staff time, which equals money. We're spending money on tools that are ultimately not being used. So we need to, we need better implementation. Therefore, we need somebody that um is more focused uh, on AAC. And perhaps your dynamic could be we we could have 
a full-time person that is AAC and a full-time person that is everything that's not AAC. So you're read, I mean, reading is AAC as well, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it, there could be a crossover. So you'd have to decide, but you see what I'm saying? Like it, uh, math, um, uh, dyscalculia, dyslexia, uh, providing universal supports, the, the accessibility. Um, so that is AAC as well, but you see how I'm saying like, there's, you could have yeah. this sort of partner that you work with that is under the same scope of assistive technology, but also, uh, separate in your job responsibilities. You know, what, yeah. how do you think that would be received? I think they would really like that. Unfortunately, there's not too many students who receive AAC. Not too many kids with autism are, it just happens to be that our district is that way. But I think that's a really good point to make. Um, Another thing I was thinking of was, or that I noticed is that during IEP meetings, um, the assistive tech part, if it's introduced to the parent, it, it just like, said really quickly, oh, this child needs or doesn't need assistive tech, they don't need, and then they move on. So I think many students need assistive tech or benefit from it, and most people aren't getting it. So So, that would make a huge rise in numbers. So that is interesting. Um, So one last point about the previous point is, even if there's not enough for for specific to AAC, um, some school districts divide their teams up based on high incidence and low incidence. So maybe it's all, you know, um, switches and mounts and those sorts of um, and beyond. Right. That could be uh, like, for instance, I think Montgomery County in Maryland, which I think is another strategy is to look at other uh, school districts around the, the, which is so great for reaching out saying, this is how they do it here. You know, they have two different teams that work on this. I'm not even advocating for a team. I'm just adding advocating for at least one full-time position. Um, So now back to your point about the uh, consideration process at the IEP meeting. So Oftentimes, what we found happening is that the assistive technology conversation was actually coming up twice, once very um, uh, overtly, and the second time covertly. People didn't know they were discussing AT, but they were. And what I mean by that is, at an IEP team meeting, you get to the considerations page where there's usually a page on the IEP where it's kind of a list of things that you have to consider, right? You're nodding. So it makes me think you know that page, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. um, and one of the things is assistive technology. And it's usually, um, again, it's a huge cheap, sweeping statement here, but it's sort of like, yeah, student doesn't need it or, oh, we've got whatever's in place is in place, right? And uh, there's not a, a rich, robust discussion about assistive technology on that line of the IEP. Uh, is that fair? I mean, again, in yeah. sweeping general, yeah. but that's that what I hear you saying. It's, it's like two words, assistive tech. <laughs> right, right. Okay, but then what happens is we continue on, we look at the present level, we talk about the goals, and then we get to the accommodations page where we start talking about, well, does the student need speech to text? Yeah, and student needs speech to text. What about uh, preferential seating? Yeah, what does that seating look like? Yeah, we talk about that there. Uh, does, this, does the student need um, text to speech? Have the text read out loud? Yep, yeah, we got that as an accommodation. And what they're having there is a discussion about assistive technology that they that they sort of skipped uh, or didn't have back on the considerations page. And I think uh, what we've tended to do 
is, and I think uh, what I write about in the books and everything is lean into that. Like, yeah, okay. So uh, it, when we get to that considerations line on on the early part of the IEP, we just say, this will be discussed when we talk about the accommodations or accommodations reflect consideration, something like that, right? Then right. when you're at the, I, at the accommodation stage, and you're already talked about what the goals are and what the challenges are based on the present levels. And now you're saying, okay, what accommodations do we need to help uh, address those goals and provide a free appropriate public education? Well, let's discuss it, you know, and let's put those down as accommodations because the, the overlap is accommodations and assistive technology, that Venn diagram, there's a huge overlap, you know, we could get into the, the nerdy weeds of what's not assistive technology, but it is an accommodation or what's an accommodation that's not assistive technology. But for the most part, everything that is an accommodation, again, if we take this definition uh, as it's written in IDEA, any item and any action, right? Um, that's, a, again, pretty broad scope of what it could be. Most accommodations then would meet the criteria of being assistive technology. And we're discussing that at the very minimum, we're discussing that at that point in a, in a rich, robust way. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> um, so that makes me think, again, that sort of leads to that idea that uh, the people at the IEP team are sort of experts in assistive technology. Everybody knows some of it. Occasionally, mm -hmm. they might get hung up where they, they're not sure they may need to call you in for extra support. But that doesn't mean that you... It, it's respecting that they do know some assistive technology. They, 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 everyone does. Uh, everyone can brainstorm uh, what, what those potential accommodations might be. Everyone can brainstorm what um, some technology might be used, what tools might be used, what strategies might be used to address um, whatever challenges the student is facing to the learning. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be you. Again, bringing back, I'm bringing back that point of your role being less, uh, I, I could see an IEP team saying, well, we got to write Rebecca in, Yeah, obviously not your name, but um, we need to write an assistive technology services in, in the IEP, as opposed to we need to contact Rebecca and have her give us some ideas and maybe give us some training, you know, as opposed right. to a direct support. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. If that's the case, though, that's where you're going to see your numbers skyrocket. Like, so imagine uh, an IEP team is now not putting the services in there. They just need some support. They need some uh, help. And could you imagine they just send, then send you emails or they fill out a quick Google form with what uh, some requests they have for you? Uh, I like Google Forms for that sort of thing uh, because it collects the data for you, you know, that then you could present later. Look at the number of requests I'm getting. I can't even keep up with the number of requests I'm yeah, getting. Especially once they know about assistive tech. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's always going to be other questions as the tech always changes, right? Um, and there's so many, there's so many needs out there, so many varied needs. Uh, yeah. So I think, and like I said, it's it's very rare that we don't see somebody who's uh, not overwhelmed in assistive technology mm -hmm. with the number of requests they have, you know. Uh uh, yeah. Which which leads into that train the trainer, you know, let's let's teach other people about it so they're not filling out the requests because they know what to do when they're sitting at the IEP meeting. You know, you right. get ahead of it that way. Definitely. Wow. This was so helpful. You don't even know. <laughs> well, Rebecca, let me ask. So, you know, I know the meeting's coming up. But let's let's role play it for a second. You know, we're sitting there. I'm the administrator. You've got some bullet points. What do you think 
that's going to look like and how that's, how's that going to work out for you? So first I'm going to talk about how there's almost 3,200 students in our school district and how it's really important to have like consistency of someone being in each school and the, and the importance of that. I'm going to talk about how tech needs are constantly changing and increasing. Um, I'm going to talk about a little bit about IDEA and how it specifies that AT has to be discussed keyword discussed at every IEP meeting. Um, I'll talk about UDL because it's not just for students with disabilities, this is assistive tech. It's also for all the students in the district. That's what UDL is at the end of the day. Um, and then based on what also what we talked about, I'm going to talk about like the rates of dyslexia and how a lot of students do have disabilities, but maybe they're, they just don't have an IP in our school. Um, I'm going to talk about how I also am trained in AAC evaluation and how I could, how I could be in service of that. And also how to like be a coach and a resource for all the team members, the staff and the students. Mm-hmm. So I know it doesn't have so many numbers involved, but hopefully they could really see my case. So let me uh, throw out a couple of other ideas here for you. Yes, One is there's some research, I think, between now and that meeting, just doing a little research on coaching in general. Um, There's some numbers that that share um, and some evidence that supports the idea that just doing like training, coming to an hour long training doesn't have a lot of carryover. What you need is somebody to um, work with the staff to ask them reflective questions afterwards. How do you think that went? What do you think you do differently? You know, those sorts of things. Uh, a follow-up, not just, and where we're, we're, it sounds like, and again, mass generalization here, you often might find that you provide the, the, the service, provide the tool, and then it doesn't get implemented with fidelity. So having a sort of coaching follow-up okay. makes the dollars go farther. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, The second thing that I might really think about in your list there is giving some examples. And what I mean by examples, this has really worked well for me. So if you think about assistive technology over the last 20 years, and if you ask them, can you name some assistive technology? I wonder what they would say, right? Mm -hmm. But they might say um, text-to-speech, right? Well, now text-to-speech is available on, it used to be something that only students with disabilities got, you know, now it's something available to everybody. How about speech-to-text? Well, it used to be a specialized program called Dragon Dictate. It was very few uh, students with disabilities would use it, but, um, and it was only for students with disabilities. Now, you can just show them your phone, ask them how many people have used a little microphone and recorded your voice and it typed out a message for you and you sent it to your uh, significant other today or your own kids today, right? You're whoever you're text messaging, right? Yeah. Um, ask them before the pandemic, uh, before every kid had a Chromebook, who had Chromebooks? Who were the kids that got laptops? It was students with disabilities. We'd often have to provide one or two students with visual impairments who couldn't see the board. They could have the laptop or students with uh, certain learning disabilities would maybe need it to type, right? And the point is, what I'm getting at here, Rebecca, we could go on and on with examples, is that the innovation that happens for the masses starts with people with disabilities. So what we wanna do is invest our time 
in using technology, looking at the technologies that are used by people with disabilities, because that's where innovation is born for the rest of us. Whatever starts out, uh, so often the technology that starts out being something that was created to address a disability uh, or to help a person with a disability blossoms to be something useful for the rest of us, right? So let's invest our money and our time there at the uh, in the um, not in the tech as much as the as teaching people about how to use the tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like the I like that you like provided very concrete examples and how you applied it the tech that students with disability with disabilities use to the students that don't technically have disabilities but they will definitely benefit from it. And I like the Siri example. <laughs> um, and then one last thing I will say um, is that and then I have a question for you. And that is what's worked for us in the past is showing student testimonials. So I know there's not a lot of time between when we're meeting and when you're, um, but uh, trying to find a student that you're working with that has talks about read and write and talks about how useful it's been or a student that is using AAC and let me show them, show me how you're using your app. You know, can I just do over the shoulder and the student being like, I like this, you know, something that pulls at the heartstrings will will also pull at the coin purse. Do you know what I mean? Um, It's, it's a, Part of it is the money and I mean, part of it is the numbers, but the other part is the, the humanality of it, you know? Yeah. Wow. I never thought of that. That's right. Rebecca question for you. Sure. Ready? What do you think if you are the administrator and you're sitting at the table, what are some of their greatest pain points? Like what is the needle, you know, that is stuck uh, in their big toe, do you know what I mean? Or is something that pain in their side that, oh, what is it that's causing them to stay up at night? Or when they get home and they talk to their significant other, what are they sort of griping about? You know, think about the problems they might be having. And then what a full-time position will do to alleviate those problems. What do you think they might be? Um, I think one of them is is not providing the school not providing the quality of services um, that the students need because like as I said before we could the especially administration they could be so involved and distracted by numbers that we forget sometimes what our end goal is so they might be whenever they do think about that they might be bothered by it mm-hmm. cool what right, else? Mind. Uh, I'm really not sure. That's one main thing I could think of. That might be something to ask around, like ask your colleagues there before you head into this meeting is, you know, or any administrators, you know, what do you think, what do you hear people like griping Mm -hmm. about? You know, what do you think is like, oh, this is so, so for instance, I think a large uh, number of people might say, you know, I don't really like being in contentious meetings, you know? So uh, if there's an advocate involved and now we're, we're, we're spending even more time in meetings and we're constantly in fighting, and that's not why I got an education to fight with advocates at an IEP meeting or whatever. If you present yourself or this full-time position as a giant force field around 
uh, advocated meetings, you know, or uh, contentious meetings. Let's put it that way because advocated yeah. meetings doesn't mean it's contentious. But let's say it's a contentious meeting. Uh, what if I could minimize those for you? You know, um, what if we could take some of those away so they never even show up because parents are happy and teachers are happy um, because they feel supported more than feel they are supported, right? Um, well, we can we can. I'm asking for funds and a person to help provide this force field around that, as opposed to um, uh, the someone broke through a force field and now it started a fire and now I need to try and put out a fire. Right? Let's be um, let's work on fire prevention, not fire extinguishers. You know? Yeah, and I think at an IP meeting when we actually do discuss assistive, assistive technology, the parents like, whoa, like that just made my student's life so much easier. My child's life so much easier. Mm-hmm. And so imagine getting that sooner, faster, you know, more students having it, students helping each other. So it never even, it, yeah, they use that thing all the time. Their friend showed it to them, uh, you know, and uh, I, I wish I had known it uh, weeks ago, you know, the, the faster we, it moves, every, moves the needle faster for everybody. It advocates, it allows students to work together. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, that should work. Awesome. That thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Well, Rebecca, don't be a stranger. Let me know how it goes. You know, um, I hope those strategies help. Um, and if not, st- still consider how, what steps you might make in changing your service delivery model to becoming less of a direct service to more of a coach and a professional developer. Developer, you know. Yeah, I, I love that. Cool. Like and what tech coach? I would call it. So instead of assistive tech coach, um, I'm very cautious about whenever I use the word assistive tech as an adjective. Like, why does it need to be assistive tech coach? Maybe it's just a coach, you know, um, or a tech coach, you know. Um, I almost never use it as an adjective. Uh, is it an assistive technology tool or is it just a tool? Like why is we've got to call it assistive tech, right? Um, mm-hmm. But if I were to uh, give you some advice about that, I would be really thinking about the name is uh, we have really tried to, to adopt inclusive design. Uh, assistive tech often feels like um, we it, something's broken. Some, there's some sort of challenge. We need some technology to fix the thing that's broken. And what I want to us to advocate for is designing experiences, designing things in a way that um, it won't break. You know what I mean? Um, the technology there is support your learning, not because something went wrong. It's just there to support it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'd be looking so what, at- So what right. would you call it? Um, I like the name inclusive design facilitator or inclusive design coach. If inclusion is at all on their radar, um, then, and it should be, (laughs) um, and it probably is, then that will be, um, that will be a word that be like, oh, this is a way we could get to that inclusion goal that we have, you know? Yeah. Let's have Rebecca and this other person spend their time working with general ed teachers, working with that staff developer to design educational experiences using technology that work for everybody, you know, let's, let's have Rebecca use uh, her talents and her skills. And this other person use their talents and skills to create um, uh, professional learning experiences, you know, 
and then coach people afterwards. How did that go? You know, what would you do differently? That's sort of those sorts of questions. I think go a long way to having it uh, have having it be something sustainable. Yeah. Oh, and it would probably help with the teacher shortage. Like when teachers yeah. feel supported, they won't want to leave. Like, oh man, you know, I know. I feel like I know what I'm doing here. I don't want to go. You know. Right. Right. I mean, uh, one reason they're leaving is I think they're exhausted, and I don't blame them. But I hope to help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, Rebecca? One thing I I researched um, something called ESSER funds. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of ESSER funds? Yes. So ESSER funds are federal funds due to the pandemic. And so this did extra funds. Technology is included in it. Yep. Um, Absolutely. I'm wondering if a technology person is included in it. It could be. It could be. Um, I don't know if staffing is is involved in ESSER funds, if you can use it for staffing. Uh, That's a good question, but it's something easily researched, you know? Yeah. I mean, from what I read, it it didn't seem like staffing is involved, but I don't know how lenient it is. Well, if it was involved, I mean, there's it's this is not the first time the federal government has provided relief. And in the past, uh, the way that relief has worked has been uh, you could use it for staffing, but this the money is going to run out at some point. So uh, you either let people know this is a three year position, you know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. And at three years, we'll reevaluate, you know, is you would let them know that it's for a limited amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look into it. If it includes staffing. Cool. One of the things you can buy with other ESSER funds is books. And I wrote a book all about this. It's called The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. Um, and it has um, a, in it, it has a job description of re- roles and responsibilities for an inclusive design facilitator or an inclusive design coach. Um, and I've heard from people uh, that they've actually yo- used that page brought it to their administration and says, I want to do this. I wanted these responsibilities and it's worked for them. They've, they've gotten the job. So, so I know there might not be time to get the book or find that section before your meeting, but definitely check it out. I think it might be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I don't, even if you could find a section that describes something like um, an inclusive design coach and you, if you could send that to me, I think like the description, that'd be very helpful if possible. All right, let me see what I can find. I'll see what I can send you. Thank you so much. You're so knowledgeable. I really appreciate it, Chris. Well, you bet, Rebecca. I think you're on the right track. And congratulations on your new job. And thanks for reaching out. And thanks for being willing to be recorded here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Of course.